This is an ABC podcast. This is the WA Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Radio WA. Hello, how are you today on this Thursday afternoon? This hour, uh, and just after half past 12 today when we check in with the headlines, you're going to learn all about the impact of microplastics, the impact of those and what it's having on our marine life. Sometimes it can cause issues in their behaviour, so we're seeing changes in swimming and their feeding habits. We're seeing a lot of changes in reproduction. There's some development changes, so growth changes. We're seeing organ health issues, even at times mortality, so sometimes the species end up dying. Yeah, a whole heap of different changes. Some of the early findings from a comprehensive review of international research on microplastics that's currently underway in Australia. More about that after half past 12. Six past 12 here on The Country Hour. The Federal Department of Agriculture says it's reviewing the findings of two independent veterinarians regarding the condition of livestock on a ship that spent most of this week just off WA's coast. About 15,000 sheep and cattle are on board the MV Bahija, which was ordered to return to Australia while en route to the Middle East due to security concerns. The vessel had been sitting off Fremantle since Monday, but docked overnight at North Quay. The Livestock Collective's Animal Welfare Compliance Officer, Dr Holly Ludeman, has been in contact with the ship's onboard veterinarian, and she says the sheep are fine. I've been in communication with the veterinarian on board and the sheep and cattle are in good health and welfare uh, and you know, the reports are going back to the federal government every day uh, and the appropriate systems are being put in place. And the industry regulator, the Federal Department of Agriculture, Fisheries and Forestry agrees, saying that the two independent vets report shows there are no signs of significant health, welfare or environmental condition concerns with the livestock on board, consistent with all reports received to date. The regulator also says, contrary to some public reports, no livestock are required to be offloaded for health reasons. The MV Bahija is currently being replenished with supplies just to ensure the ongoing health and welfare of the livestock is upheld and no animals are currently being unloaded. The department continues to assess the application to re-export the livestock provided by the exporter as a matter of priority. I should just say we've asked for an interview with a regulator, I think, every day since this situation developed, but at this point all of those interview requests have been rejected. Despite reassurances that the sheep are doing fine, politicians and animal rights groups see this as an opportunity to argue their case that the live trade should end. The federal member for Fremantle, Josh Wilson, says sheep are not fit for long-distance freight. We should have learned by now that the live sheep trade involves unacceptable risks to animal welfare and sheep can't be long-distance freight to one of the hottest and most unstable parts of the world. And Tasmanian Federal Independent MP Andrew Wilkie has gone a step further, calling for an immediate ban on live sheep and cattle exports. There are so many layers to this which are alarming. First and foremost is the welfare of those 15,000 sheep and cattle. They've been in the most intolerable conditions uh, for 26 days now. 
and they're currently sitting on a stationary vessel, which means there's no movement of air through it. It will be unbearably hot, unbearably filthy. They will be shockingly fatigued and susceptible to disease. And nothing's being done about it. Frankly, the live export trade has to be banned. Sheep and cattle. Because we know from an abundance of evidence that the live export trade is systemically cruel, it doesn't have popular support, and it takes Australian jobs. Well, Mark Harvey Sutton is the CEO of the Australian Livestock Exporters Council. Mark, wasn't it inevitable that the MV Bahija issue was going to spark debate about the future of the trade? Oh, well, understandably, too. These are unusual circumstances, Belinda. Uh, They're not unprecedented, but we do have processes to deal with them. But, yes, it is a very public uh, issue. Uh, People are wondering what's happening with the vessel offshore. And I can understand people being interested in that. But what I can't understand is the blatant mistruths that have been perpetuated here by those that would like to see the trade finish. So what are some of those mistruths, as you call them, that you're particularly concerned about? Well, the conditions on the vessel. What uh, has really... I saw a representative from the RSPCA on television last night when asked what are the conditions like on board, describing it as these animals right now will be standing knee-deep in their faeces, the ammonia will be stinging their eyes, they'll have motion sickness... It just went on and on, Belinda. And the reality is uh, all reports from the vessel are saying that the animal welfare is fine. Two independent vets went on the vessel last night saying that the animals are fine. It's about time we called this out because, quite frankly, I think what they're looking to do is not only have a uh, promotional campaign for their own organisations, but also uh, residing in their motivation to spread mistruths about our industry when no one has set foot on a vessel no one running this commentary has set foot on a vessel and knows what it's like aren't these groups just making the most of an opportunity really to push for the end of a trade that they find abhorrent and anyone in their situation would be doing the same thing you could argue that but it's not their role to lie to say mistruths to belittle the trade that is so important to Western Australian farmers and indeed the Australia, broader Australian economy. It is not their role to say that these animals will be suffering when they're not. So while, yes, I can understand that they might be expressing concern for the animals' welfare, it's not their role to embellish the situation and to turn it into something it is not. Mark, is there any good for the industry that you would highlight to come out of this you know, rather unfortunate situation? Well, I think it's uh, it highlights the food security reasons that we export to the Middle East. Uh, I think it's worth remembering that this vessel could not exercise its freedom of navigation through the Red Sea because of terrorist attacks. Uh, they were concerned for their safety. Uh, we do have processes, uh, has been demonstrated. And while I think it's fair to say we would have liked a decision from the Department of Agriculture sooner about what is happening, They have processes to work through. We all have processes to work through. We are an industry equipped to handle this situation. And I would say to the the general public that may have concerns about this, we are a professional industry and do not be misguided by those that seek to shut us down. But you'd certainly rather not be having to deal with this situation. I bet the exporter would feel that way. I bet the importer in Israel would actually feel that way as well. But the reality is food security is heightened at the moment uh, because of unrest in the region. 
And, you know, yes, it is unusual. Uh, it would be costing the exporter significant amounts of money. But let me highlight animal welfare is not a concern here. Biosecurity is not a concern here because it can be managed and we have appropriate processes to deal with it. Mike, what do you think this is doing at a, a political level, the, the impact it's having at a political level? Is it having some cut through this debate going on at the moment about the future of the trade, particularly in relation to the government policy to phase out the sheep trade by sea, which we're waiting for the details of that from the Federal Agriculture Minister any day now? Well, they are two distinct issues, but I guess they are related to some extent, Belinda, and I'm sure those that uh, have not chosen to listen to industry, uh, that have not chosen to listen to the thousands of farmers in Western Australia that know this policy cannot work, sure, they're probably looking at this as an opportunity to further their cause. But the reality is with that policy, we know it's wrong. The facts on which it is based on is wrong. This is an industry that has reformed. It has the highest animal welfare standards in the world. We are very good at what we do. And yes, from time to time, there will be complications, but we do have processes to deal with that. And that's what needs to be made crystal clear. I think it would be a gross conflation to draw this circumstance as having any influence on the government's policy around the phase-out. Now, there's no confirmed plan for the livestock on board the ship at this stage, but industry believes that some cattle and some sheep will be offloaded at some point and quarantined before setting sail with the rest of the livestock around Africa for Israel. Is that still your understanding? Uh, that, that That's a probable outcome here. Uh, we know that some livestock will have to come off if it is to re-export at the very least. But until we have a final decision from the department about what the plan is, I, I would say that all options are still being considered. But we do know some livestock need to come off. So that I imagine that would be planning for that would be happening right now. Do you expect that announcement any day, today, tomorrow? Uh, ideally today. Uh, that would be uh, the best outcome for all parties here. Uh, so we've got some certainty and clarity about what needs to occur and then we will uh, proceed. We will actively manage uh, what needs to happen from there. Mark, good to talk to you. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, Belinda. Mark Harvey Sutton is the CEO of the Australian Livestock Exporters Council. State Agriculture Minister Jackie Jarvis has just updated the situation for the MV Bahesia as far as its movements go today, and it appears it needs to head back out to gauge roads to anchor for a little while before heading back to port. So my understanding is the ship is currently being restocked. Um, however, I believe the ship will have to leave port soon to allow for the movement of some other ships. Um, and so my understanding is the ship will go back out to Gage Roads this afternoon. There'll be no movement. The Commonwealth have put out a statement to say that there's, no, there's currently no movement of animals. And my understanding is the ship will come back in tomorrow to finish that replenishment. With regards to movement of animals, the Commonwealth will make that determination. WA Agriculture Minister Jackie Jarvis, 16 past 12 here on the Country Hour on the ABC right across WA, on the ABC Listen app and streaming live on the web. If you want to have your say, please do. The text is 0448 922 604. This from Greg. So it's about time the ABC started some hard truth interviews with these people who are lying and causing more grief to people involved with the livestock industry. Start absolutely grilling these people who are responsible for false accusations. 
Uh, this too, Andrew Wilkie needs to be corrected. We live in Katanning. Very few Australians working at WAMCO, mostly overseas workers. Uh, Noddy says, Belinda, please. A floating feedlot just off Rotnest, inland WA 45 degrees. I know where I'd rather be. And this from Bruce in Dongara. They should ban cruise boats. There are more deaths on them than on live export vessels these days. Zero double four eight nine double two six zero four. Text through. Let me know what you're thinking. Seventeen past twelve. Northern Australia's live export trade is in limbo, with the cattle industry waiting for Indonesia to issue import permits for 2024. Now, so far this year, there's been no cattle exported from the Darwin port, which is highly unusual. And there's currently two export ships anchored off the NT coast waiting for this permit issue to be resolved. Patrick Underwood is the Managing Director of Australian Cattle Enterprises, and he's flown to Jakarta for meetings to get more information about this situation. I'm in Jakarta. I've been here the last couple of days meeting with um, importers the embassy and you know, just trying to understand sort of where these permits are because there's um, there's a, a definite need for them, certainly from, from exporters, um, certainly from shipping companies, but also importantly from, from importers. There's, there's actually um, good demand over here at the moment and cattle are selling and the longer these permit, the permit issue goes, the sort of bigger the, the gap in, in supply, which you know, will affect them down the track. So we're now into the month of February. And Indonesia is yet to issue import permits for the year 2024. Is that right? That's correct. So we there's often some sort of a delay. Like we we as 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 exporters, we sort of don't book ships in the first couple of weeks of January. It's a, to be frank, it's an opportunity to sort of to sort of catch up. And December is a a busy month, um, but. Uh, this is certainly the longest I can remember. I can't remember going an entire month, um, and now we're sort of into February. And um, you know, to, to be honest, we're we're still unsure. Like I've I've, I've spoken to a number of people over here. There, there was a, a a strong view that around the twentieth they were going to be coming out in the in the following five days, but we're sort of past that period now, and actually starting to head towards the Indonesian presidential election, which is on the fourteenth of February. So. There's a, there's a little bit of a concern that if we sort of miss this next couple of days that we're sort of looking at that mid-February and, and even mid-February plus plus a week, I guess, because, you know, you would consider that the days leading up to and the week after the election, there'll be a, a lot of things happening in Indonesia and possibly no permits coming out. So it's, it's, um, it is a, a, a great concern. So this waiting period, how much is it hurting Australia's northern live cattle trade? Look, it's, it's 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 definitely hurting some individual players. So so any any exporter that that um, took on a, a commitment with a ship um, and a customer and and, and a yard, um, it, it's obviously hurting, and um, that's of concern. It, we're certainly lucky that it's corresponded with a a very wet month. So I think this, particularly the second half of January, has taken you know a lot of Australia by surprise. The, the amount of rain and how widespread it is. So we are in a period where it's where it's very wet, and, and, and you know, to be to be frank, if we're trying to do a ship last week or next week, we'd we'd struggle with supply. So that part we're lucky. If I think if we had, you know, four to six to, to seven weeks without permits in any other time of the year, it would 
effective production side of things, the producers, whereas this is more about the actual supply chain. But it's important to note that it's in, impacting um, importers because, you know, one thing about importers is they sell cattle every day of the year. And if they have a, a gap of, of you know, again, if it's four, six, seven weeks without any cattle from Australia, then it's going to impact them down the track. And they've got Ramadan fast approaching. That's right. So the, the, their peak supply periods or sales periods will be um, the week leading into Ramadan and certainly uh, the week after where they, you know, they sell significant volumes of Australian cattle. So most of the importers up here are holding sales back, selling to select uh, customers and just restricting to a sort of per day sales side of things. So, um, and, and holding them back for that peak demand period. So I guess if you, if you, if you try and run it through the fact that, that, that Ramadan will finish sort of late, late March, it will, it will at least correspond to the, the, the dry season. Um, we, we assume that the, you know, rain's going to finish March or around Easter. So the good news is Australia will have, you know, significant volumes of cattle. Um, available then, but 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 you know they do like to feed cattle for eighty to hundred days, and you can't do that if you've had to, you know, sell, sell you sell you you know most of your stock and then and then re-import. I've uh, got here on the um, website for tracking ships the the Brahman Express looks like it's just anchored off Darwin and waiting. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I understand. There's a couple off Darwin. There's um. And there's, there's, I know there's a ship off Fremantle um, that's destined for Indonesia. So I, th- I think the rest of us, where, where possible, we're talking to shipping companies to, to, um, you know, to sort of hold ships and and not bring cattle in yards. There are some cattle in, in quarantine, um, but where possible now, the the export industry will will wait for permits and then and then, um, you know, bring cattle in the yards because you know at the end of the day they're better off in paddocks. Um, than, than in export yards, certainly from a cost perspective, but you know, just from an animal perspective. So uh, it's up to us to try and negotiate with our customers and with shipping companies to hold back. And but you know, there's only a limited number of, of ships, and the longer this goes, the I guess the more the demand builds up, and the more the requirement will be for some significant numbers of cattle to be exported quickly. And that, and that, uh, you know, that, that's limited. You know, how many cattle can move at once? So. Yeah, look, it, it's very frustrating. Of course, if we if we knew a date, um, we could plan towards it. If it was, you know, if someone said it was this date in February, we could work towards it. But as it is, we'll just have to stay prepared and stay ready. And for Darwin Port to have zero cattle exported out in January, that means also no ships have been going to Vietnam, Philippines, Malaysia and the likes. That's all a bit quiet too. Look, there's demand in those markets. Uh, you know, I said earlier, it's 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 very wet. So, you know, certainly certainly Darwin, there's not you know big numbers of big of big cattle. So, you know, the Vietnamese, but they've got Tet coming, which is their peak demand period in February. So, they're sort of looking for well big cattle in January, and you know they're not really available in decent numbers from Darwin. Townsville's wet, and a lot of Australia's wet. So, you know, from that from that perspective, again. Uh, you know the timing's as good as it could be, but 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 very frustrating. And it's it's probably it's it's worth noting that you know it's not just Australian cattle. There's um, you know meat and cattle and horticulture and other products from Australia and from other countries. So I know there was a meeting um, yesterday with the U.S. Embassy 
ag councillors, the New Zealand ag councillors and the Australian ag councillors up here to discuss permit issues for various products. So, you know, from, from that perspective, it doesn't seem to be anything aimed at Australian cattle, which is, which is obviously the main message that yeah, I'd right. sort of like, like, like to get back to, you know, Australian producers. We don't see this as a, you know, Australia having done something wrong or Australian being on the outer. It's just sort of Indonesia being being Indonesia at times, and right. uh, there could be some fruit farmers. There could be some fruit farmers having a having a similar. Oh, story there's at vegetable the growers. Yeah. There's vegetable growers. I know we were talking to, you know, the guys from the embassy and the vegetable growers, particularly some some southern Australia, have uh, I'm not you know aware of the finer details, but basically have you know seasonal seasonal fruit and vegetables who are um, you know have a small window to export them and and, and uh, you know can't to Indonesia, so. Yeah, there's a few of us in the in, in the same boat, so to speak. Well, all the best in Jakarta. And thanks so much for your time and, and keeping us up to date. Appreciate it. No worries, Matt. All the best, everyone. Thank you. Patrick Underwood, he's the Managing Director of Australian Cattle Enterprises, and he was speaking to Matt Bran. 26 past 12. You're with Belinda Varasgetti on The Country Hour on ABC Local Radio WA. In the last few days in northwest Queensland, ex-tropical cyclone Kiralee has dumped huge amounts of rain over the McKinley Shire, resulting in record flooding. Two major highways are closed and pastoralists are rushing to move cattle to higher ground. And the system is about to dump up to 150 millimetres of rain over the Gulf Country, just west of Burketown. Cloncurry-based vet Trevor Smith says a lot of station owners are a bit nervous at the moment. Here in town in Cloncurry, uh, we've uh, we've been pretty lucky um, and we haven't uh, had any of the, the really big rainfall. Um, We've probably had um, uh, 150 mil here in town or a little bit more, but um, just to the south of us in the McKinlay, Kainuna regions, um, uh, there's uh, been falls of up to 450 mils in 24 hours and sort of totals over a few days up around the 600 mils. Wow. And looking north of you now, I'm thinking that they got a fair bit of rain overnight around that Gregory Dumaji area? Uh, yeah, so the um, the ex-tropical cyclone hung out south of us for a while and then it's made its way up to um, near Burketown now and uh, on the way through, um, places got up to 125, 130 mil um, uh, yesterday evening and last night. Um, and uh, so, uh, yeah, now it's sitting up there and uh, everyone's just watching to see what it does next. And, of course, almost everyone, I would say, has seen those photos of McKinlay and the race course and the Kainuna pub all completely underwater, cattle moving through the water there to get to higher ground. Have you got any concerns for those cattle? What's the weather been like? Is there concerns about it getting a bit cold? We've been pretty lucky so far. The weather's sort of stayed around that 30 degrees. We haven't haven't seen any um, cold weather like we have seen in previous events. So fingers crossed at this stage um, that uh, we're not going to see the temperature drop down much at all um, and um, hopefully that'll be less of an issue for us. And are you worried about cattle standing in water at all or do you think that most people are able to get them up high. I'm just thinking around that McKinlay area, it's very low and flat. 
Yep, no, always a concern when we get those large amounts of rain in a short period of time. Like it's hard, you know, cattle can get caught just because it comes so quickly and they don't have time to get to higher ground. Um, so that's always a concern. Um, I haven't heard of any um, big dramas so far. But having said that, there's still a lot of people that haven't been able to get out and around to see all of their country. So there's a chance of that happening, but we're not aware of it as yet. And what's the mood like going into today, watching that extropical cyclone now swirl around the Gulf? Of course, it seems very familiar to this time last year where a huge amount of cattle were lost. And then, of course, 2019, I think the figure being close to 500,000 head from a similar occurrence. Do you, do you have concerns and does the community have concerns for what's coming up in the next few days? Oh, for sure. Um the the event 12 months ago sort of on the gregory nicholson and leichhardt rivers um that's only 12 months ago um and so people are you know still very mindful of that um and uh the prediction is that it's going to pull up where it is near burktown for a few days and then start coming back over um head south hopefully it's going to head track a bit more west as it comes south rather than come over the country that's already um that it passed over on the way north so hopefully it'll move a bit further west as it comes back south and so some of that um country on the northern territory border will get more rain than what we have hopefully but yeah like as soon as we see these big rainfall events like this we all start to think of what happened last year and then 19 but at this stage um people you know people have tried to move early and got uh, machines in the air and move cattle where they can and done what they can to prepare. So um, it's sort of wait and see at, at this point now. Trevor Smith, who works for North Australian Veterinary Group based at Cloncurry. So the story is two major highways in Queensland's northwest are now closed. The Flinders Highway between Julia Creek and Cloncurry and the Landsborough Highway between Winton and McKinlay. Queensland Trucking Association President Gary Mann says the closures will cost the North a lot of time and a lot of money. You've got um, manufacturers, um, ag producers, ports and, and a whole swag of other people involved in the supply chain reliant on that product. And I think uh, what a lot of people forget uh, with the road freight industry in particular is scale. You know, you, you don't have to hold uh, a road up for too long and, and you're literally looking at, you know, hundreds of, of vehicles held up at the roadside for a reasonable period of time. So... In 2024, in a country that's well used to uh, floods and cyclones and and uh, flooding rains, uh, we need to do better with our regional infrastructure so that we at least have one all-weather sustainable and reliable uh, route that um, our regional communities can rely upon. Queensland Trucking Association President Gary Mann speaking to Laura Cox. Uh, 28 to 1 here on The Country Hour and Brianna Shepherd in the studio with the headlines. Good afternoon. The Federal Department of Agriculture has confirmed no animals on board a live export ship returned from the Middle East need to be offloaded. The MV Bahija docked at Fremantle this morning after spending the past few days off the coast. The department says the ship is being replenished with supplies ahead of its possible departure. 
And the case against a Perth man accused of causing the Wooraloo bushfires has been dropped five days before he was due to face a jury trial in the district court. 42-year-old Daniel Pruce was accused of using an angle, angle grinder during a total fire ban, causing the blaze in February 2021, which burnt through 10,000 hectares of land and destroyed 86 homes. His trial was due to start on Tuesday, but prosecutors said further investigations by police had found it could not be established Mr Pruce lit the fire and therefore there were no reasonable prospects of a conviction. More news coming up at one o'clock. Brenna, thank you so much for the update. 27 to 1. You're part of the Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Local Radio WA. Still to come between now and the news at one o'clock. Just an update for you on the public consultation which is due to start, well, fairly shortly, really, for the South Coast Marine Park. You might remember late last year, uh, the government said that it would just delay the start of that consultation period, just sort of get Christmas and school holidays out the way and, and looking like around about February to start. So a little update for you on that situation. And no Mount Barker cattle market today. It's over the two days, so a full wrap of the trade and weaner sale for you this time tomorrow, 27 to 1. It's off to the Bureau of Meteorology and time to catch up with Angeline Prasad. Angeline, uh, let's start in the north of the state. How are conditions today for northern and eastern parts and what can you see into the weekend? Not a lot going on for northern and eastern parts by the looks of things. Hopefully we'll get Angeline in a sec. Let me go to a few texts that have come through because most of the conversation on the Country Hour today has been about the livestock ship that's been sitting out off the coast of WA for a couple of days now, but it's now in the port of Fremantle. Still a decision yet to be made by the regulator about the future of the livestock on board, but we think some are going to come off and then the ship will continue around Africa to markets in Israel. This on the text, the RSPCA is a disgrace. They think the exporters don't care. They do. Brad from Dongara, who says he's worked on these ships as a stockman. Thank you for that, Brad. And this too, why doesn't Mark Harvey Sutton, who's the CEO of the Australian Livestock Exporters Council, invite the RSPCA to go on board the ship to video the condition of the sheep so this situation can be completely transparent for all? with everything open for the public to view. I think those invitations have gone out on many, many occasions uh, and a lot of them haven't been taken up for that um, look around one of those ships. 0448 that's the text. If you want to shoot one through and let me know what you're thinking. Angeline Prasad, well, she's ready to talk to you now. Angeline, let's start in the north of the state. What can you see for this afternoon and into the weekend? Good afternoon, Belinda. Um, yeah, so clear skies across the north and east of the state. Uh, today we're expecting uh, warm to hot temperatures right throughout these areas. Temperatures will generally be about 4 to 8 degrees above average for this time of the year. This afternoon I do expect isolated showers and thunderstorms to develop across the northern and western parts of the Kimberley and also the western parts of the Pilbara extending into the northern parts of the Gascoigne. The showers and thunderstorms are going to be fairly isolated um, and uh, most likely quite gusty as well. So there is a small risk where I may see some damaging wind gusts uh, uh, but these are going to be fairly isolated. Over the next few days, um, the showers and thunderstorms are going to be 
fairly isolated uh, through these areas that I have mentioned. Um, and again, that risk of gusty thunderstorms will continue. Uh, not much rain expected. It's a static weather pattern with a slow-moving broad area of low pressure uh, through these uh, districts. So not expecting much change uh, through these areas uh, over the next few days, including the weekend. If anything, showers and thunderstorms will become more isolated over the weekend. And then into the Southwest Land Division, and uh, pretty hot today. Is that set to continue? Yes, we've seen quite a few areas. Um, in fact, most of the Southwest Land Division currently sitting over 40 degrees. We've seen a couple of records. So, Collie East uh, reached 41.7. Uh, Late this morning, that's an annual record over 21 years. Also, Bridgetown, um, 41.9, that's over a 25-year period. So it's seen its hottest um, day in 25 years. So may see more records this afternoon. So very hot temperatures uh, through these areas. Um, the sea breeze has come in on the West Coast. So we're starting to see a, a lower temperatures on the West Coast, but overall quite hot. Those uh, heat wave conditions are quite extensive. So another scorch of a day is expected uh, tomorrow across much of these areas. Again, temperatures are likely to be in the high 30s to low 40s through much of this area. So those heat wave conditions are expected to persist. On the west and southwest coast, especially south of Perth into into southwest uh, coast, uh, might see a slight easing in the temperatures tomorrow because we do see an earlier sea breeze. The temperatures may not get as hot as what we saw today. Um, however, heat wave conditions, so those very hot temperatures are going to persist across the rest of the southwest land division into tomorrow. We do see a cooler change arrive across the western and su southern parts of the southwest land division on Saturday. So this will be thanks to a, a weak front brushing past the south coast and that will be followed by a, a, a new ridge of high pressure. So we are expecting a cooler and, and more moist uh, AMS to, to gradually spread uh, across the southwest land, land division this weekend. So by Sunday we will see much cooler temperatures uh, through uh, these uh, areas. We're expecting temperatures uh, to drop by about 2 to 6 uh, or 2 to 8 degrees uh, by Sunday across much of the southwest land division in the cooler south to southeast flow. That cold front is not expected to bring much rain. Uh, the southern districts, southwest, south coastal and southeast may see 1 to 2 millimetres on the coast. Um, around Albany there might be a little bit more, up to 5 millimetres, but it's going to be quite coastal. And in the warnings for this afternoon? There is a, a heat wave warning across multiple districts um, uh, through the state. So we have got an extreme heat wave warning across the, the Kimberley and a severe heat wave warning across the Western Gascoigne and across uh, all the districts of the Southwest Land Division. And also a fire weather warning uh, for the Swan Inland uh, North and South, uh, the Capes, Brockman, Blackwood and Southern Forests fire weather district. So that's the southwest of the Southwest Land Division. The flood warning for the Fitzroy River has been finalised. So we're not expecting Wilaya to reach a minor flood warning. So that has been finalised. Um, and that's the summary for today. 
And thank you so much for going through that. 20 to 1 and Richard Hudson in the studio now to go through the rainfall figures. And there aren't too many. In the northern and eastern forecast districts, the only rain was recorded in the Kimberley with Gibb River with five, uh, but also in the Pilbara. So Coolawanya 19, Karajini North 18, Marble Bar 29 and Yaleen 20. They're great follow-up rains to what uh, came through last week too. Nothing recorded in the Gascoigne interior, Goldfields, Eucla districts, nothing out on the islands. And then in the southwest, Land Division forecast districts. The only place to get any rain at all above one mil was Magenta Dam in the Great Southern, which recorded four. Bit of an outlier. Um, as Zange was just talking about, there are pretty hot conditions around. There's about six fires that are currently burning in Western Australia at the moment. Uh, they're at an advice level. Uh, due to the risk of fire, a number of local authorities have imposed a ban on harvesting, and that includes the use of any equipment that could potentially start a fire. So that includes the use of engines, vehicles, plant or machinery in paddocks. So that's for the shires of Augusta Margaret River, Boyup Brook, Chittering, Collie, Corrigan, Donnybrook Bailing Up, City of Greater Geraldton, Katanning, Mundaring, Nanup, Pingley and City of Swan. So if you're in any of those shires and you're wondering about when that's going to be lifted, just make sure you get in touch directly with your local shire. Uh, also, because of the extreme fire danger today, a total fire ban has been issued for parts of the goldfields, midwest and southwest regions. So, in the goldfields, that's for 2J, Shire of 2J. In the southwest region, it's for Collie, Dardanup, Harvey, Murray, and Waruna. And then in the lower southwest region, it's for Augusta Margaret River, Boyup Brook, Bridgetown Greenbushes, Bustleton, Donnybrook Bailing Up. Manjum up and nan up, so you can't light fires or do anything at all that could start a fire. That includes cooking, camping, hot work, grinding, welding, and gas cutting. And if you're not sure what you can and can't do, or if you're not sure if your shire has a total harvest ban in place, uh, just go to Emergency WA to the website. And it'll have all the details there. Um, but if it's to do specifically with the harvest and vehicle movement bans, just make sure you get in touch with your local show. Thanks for that, Richard. 18 to 1 here on the Country Hour. And Fisheries Minister Don Punch says the public consultation period for the South Coast Marine Park is expected to open shortly. Now, you might remember just before Christmas... The Environment Minister, Reese Whitby, announced the consultation period would be delayed until after the festive season, Christmas, New Year and the school holidays, saying early February would be the best start date. So it's the 1st of February today, as you know. Now, the Marine Park is planned for waters between Bremer Bay and the WA South Australian border and is under constant fire over a perceived lack of consultation with regional communities and fishing groups. And Freedom of Information documents also reveal Deep Heard accused the Department of Biodiversity, Conservation and Attractions of failing to take a pragmatic approach to the zoning and boundaries of the new park. Don Punch says he doesn't know when the public consultation period will start. Uh, Look, I haven't got that date with me. That's with Minister Whitby, but um, I know that it's not far away. And that commitment was there to release, um, start the public consultation in February. And I would really encourage people, once um, once those uh, maps and draft zonings are released, really have a look at them, put the feedback in, have faith in the process, and make sure that um, 
as decision makers we get a clear understanding of what the various stakeholder views are. Is discussion still ongoing between your department and uh, the Department of Biodiversity, Conservation and Attractions? No, we're at the point now where um, the draft documents are, out, are going to be released to the public. It's important that the public has the opportunity in clear air to absorb it, discuss it and give us feedback and then we'll have an ongoing dialogue when we receive that feedback. We've worked out very, very hard to get to a point where we can go out to the community, put um, ideas on the table and get feedback. Uh, how long will people have to look at them and, and make their feedback? Yeah, we've committed to four months of public consultation and I think that gives people plenty of opportunity to really absorb the information and think about what it means, not just react on first impressions, but to really think deeply about what it is that we're trying to achieve and what it means in terms of sustainable fisheries for the future, recognising that our fisheries practice is sustainable. We've got very good people managing our fisheries, but we need to make sure that in that process we're also conserving the marine environment, so it's important we get that balance right. Fisheries Minister Don Punch with Lucinda Jose. The minister was in Geraldton this week to launch a new flash marine research vessel. The $3.2 million boat is named the RV Jilji Katajan, a Noongar name that means fish knowledge. Don Punch says the vessel really expands WA's marine research capabilities. Well, it enables us to go out up to 200 miles offshore so we can really undertake work right across the marine environment out to the continental shelf, essentially. Uh, We'll be able to undertake baited research underwater vehicle operations from here, so getting down onto the seabed or at various levels in in the water column. Uh, and attracting fish and looking at what the helping to understand what the fish stocks are, uh, what any changes, particularly changes that might be attributable to climate change, we'll be able to undertake crustacean research and lobster research. So it really provides a level of um, flexibility that we didn't have in our previous vessel. And the other important thing with this boat is it is capable of actually being at sea for up to 21 days with a crew of four. So it can undertake those extended research. Um, investigations right along the coastline. Why is that time frame important or necessary? Well it's about efficiency. Some of the journey times out to where we need to be to undertake research requires that extended capability uh, and it also enables a vessel to be very flexible up and down the coast as well. So it does give fisheries researchers enormous potential to undertake research that they weren't able to undertake previously. Have you been aboard her yet? I'm about to go on board. It looks really, really interesting. And as a, I've got a um, Master 5 myself. I've been out to sea, spent a lot of time at sea. So I'm really looking forward to exploring all of the navigation equipment particularly. Fisheries Minister Don Punch with Lucinda Jose, 13 to 1. In other fishing news today, microplastics are having a range of effects on marine life from changes in behaviour to changes in reproduction. Now, microplastic is a piece of plastic that's five millimetres in size or smaller. Dr Nina Wooten is a marine scientist at the University of Adelaide. She's part of a team undertaking a comprehensive review of international research to get a clear picture about what's happening to sea life when it ingests this plastic a project that's being funded by the Fisheries Research and Development Corporation. She's looked at more than 600 studies, most of them based in the laboratory and covering a wide range of marine species. 
So we looked not just at fish, but also at other seafood species. So also different crustaceans and bivalves and mollusks as well. The effects that it has on seafood species are quite varied. Sometimes it can cause issues in their behaviour. So we're seeing changes in swimming and their feeding habits. We're seeing a lot of changes in reproduction, changes in their egg counts and hatching rates. There's some development changes, so growth changes. We're seeing organ health issues, even at times mortality. So sometimes the species end up dying. Yeah, a whole heap of different changes. But it is important to add a caveat in there, which is that a lot of the microplastics that are causing these changes are being given to these species in much, much higher levels than what is currently in the marine environment. That sounds a bit gruesome. Why is that research being done? I guess um, we really want to see ongoing how this might affect our fish population or seafood population. Will it cause these sort of individual effects where you might see some species dying and most being okay? Um, Or is it going to cause population level ecosystem effects and that over time could cause population decline, uh, which obviously isn't good for um, the fisheries that it might be happening in. And I guess Personally, I think it's really important that we sort of know the state of what could happen if our plastic pollution issue continues so we can ensure that it doesn't get to that point where these fish species or marine species are so badly affected. Obviously, the plastic comes from from people, but are there some main sources or or low-hanging fruit where efforts could be made to reduce plastic in the ocean to stop getting to that critical point? The main sources of plastic are, a lot of them are from consumers, you know, like us, like coffee cups and straws and um, all things that people can individually do to change. But also, unfortunately, some of the larger companies that use a lot of plastic in packaging, that's a really problematic area that we're getting a lot of plastics from. And unfortunately, also, there's a lot of plastic coming from even fisheries in general, fisheries and aquaculture do tend to use the marine space a lot and therefore some of the plastic that is, I guess they're using as part of their industry does accidentally get into our waterways. So that's definitely a source of plastic in the marine environment. What can be done about the problem? From an individual point of view, always try to use less plastic in your everyday life. You know, take your keep cup. I always suggest that we pitched legislation and to government and policy to try to put pressure on these bigger industries that actually are producing a lot of the plastic in the first place. You know, it's all good and well we do these individual actions, but at the end of the day, if they're still producing it all, it's going to end up somewhere at some point in the environment. A key thing I always say to people is to try to buy secondhand or um, clothing items made of natural materials. There's a lot of synthetic microplastics that go into clothing. They say about one million microplastics can end up in our marine systems through every load of washing, which is crazy. So trying to use clothing items that are kind to the environment is probably another really important one. Marine scientist at the University of Adelaide, Dr Nina Wooten, speaking to Lucinda Joyce. Nine minutes to one here on the Country Hour. And wine grape growers in South Australia's Riverland have driven their trucks, tractors and harvesters to the main street at Renmark to protest for better prices for their grapes. Growers in the country's largest wine grape growing region are choosing to dump their grapes or let them rot on the vines 
rather than be paid below the cost of production. Eliza Balage went to Renmark to meet the protesters. Savagagas. Uh, we just start, uh, got a few of the boys, a few of the girls together to start a bit of a protest to uh, show awareness in the industry. I'm only young, I'm still 25, and, well, if the industry collapses, I collapse, really. This is all I know, and this is what I love doing, and I want to keep doing it, but at these prices, we can't keep doing it. And, Saba, you've taken to the streets with your tractors, trucks, and harvesters down the main street of Renmark. What did that feel like? Yeah, it feels, you know what, it feels good because this is what we need to do because, like I said, if we don't do anything, I'm out, and I don't know anything, but I'm stuffed. That's it, I'm done. And were people mostly pretty, um, you know, patient for you guys to move this this action, this Yeah, there, there was a couple of guys that stopped me there and said, good, keep doing it. The Riverland's going to collapse if this is not happening. We, we are the Riverland. Us farmers are the Riverland. We are the food bowl. And what's the mood amongst you and your fellow growers today? Uh, a lot of anger. A lot of anger. We're all angry. We're all angry. I'll, I'll be honest, I've got to harvest tomorrow. I don't want to harvest. Why should I harvest when I don't know what I'm getting? And are you planning to deliver your grapes this year for vintage? Oh, that's still something I've got to think about. Lastly as well, you obviously had that big heated meeting yesterday with a big turnout. You know, how do you feel after that meeting yesterday? I feel like more people are hungry, hungry to get more answers. Um, yeah, I'm Jarvis Wandersberg and I'm a vineyard contractor in Riverland. And Jarvis, are you part of this big action today, this protest of vehicles? Well, yes, I am because, um, well, with the grape industry being the way it is, like, uh, it affects everyone, contractors like myself, businesses, you know, no one's spending any money and it affects the whole region. And how long have you been working in the industry for? Uh, about five, six years now. Yeah. And I guess what have you seen over that time? Well, you know, when I first started, times were a little bit better, and then now they've just slowly dwindled off, and it's just, yeah, this year's looking really shocking, so... Yeah. And what did it feel like to take to the streets with your tractors, trucks and harvesters? Well, it's good. Hopefully we can just make someone listen and, um, you know, appreciate what's actually going on in the industry, and, yeah, because so far no one's really taken any notice. And, yeah, Jarvis, you were saying you and Sava are some of the younger guys here. You know, the average age of growers and people in the industry is, you know, you know, 60 or 50. Why is it really important for you young blokes to say something as well? Well, you know, if um, the industry goes down now, what future do we have? You know, like I started out my business study uh, in 2020 and uh, it's already dwindling off because uh, the industry's just going downhill. And what has that meant for you? Have you been able to pay your bills? Well, only just... <laughs> Yeah, no, it's looking pretty, yeah, it's pretty bad at the moment. And what sort of action would help you? Well, just get someone to listen, like, to realise what the wineries are doing, and that's wrong, like, you know, some of the stuff they're coming out with, yeah, just not right. South Australian Riverland grape grower Jarvis Wandenberg speaking to Eliza Balage, taking to the streets in Renmark to protest against the prices they're being paid for their grapes. Five to one. Hello, I'm Sally Sara. Join me for The World Today. Medicare celebrates its 40th birthday. Is it still fit for purpose as health costs rise? Independent MP Helen Haynes responds to Labor's proposed changes to the Stage 3 tax cuts. And you should be so lucky. Millions of Australians have bought a ticket for tonight's $200 million Powerball draw, even though the chances of winning are minuscule. Those stories and much more coming up this lunchtime on The World Today. I'm still prepared to take that chance.
Yet another WA nickel mine has become a casualty of low metal prices, with the Cosmos mine in the northern gold fields to be shut by May. Perth-based miner IGO made the announcement to the Stock Exchange yesterday, and it's the latest in a string of mine closures which has cost hundreds of jobs across WA's once booming nickel industry. IGO Managing Director Ivan Valla says it gradually became clear the mine had to close. The rapid deterioration of the nickel price over the last six months has meant it would not be prudent for us to continue with the project at this time. I really want to acknowledge the team on site. To their full credit, they have given this project everything they had and delivered some fantastic outcomes. There's a huge list of achievements and most notably for me, improving their safety performance through this period and the mill ramp ramp up was absolutely outstanding. But on reflection, this project was not set up for success and it's being developed through a very difficult time in the market. Notably, the movement in the nickel price has been rapid. The rapidly increasing support from China, uh, from Indonesia at least, catching up, catching the market by surprise, both in their ability to deploy their capital efficiently and the speed in which they ramped up their mining and processing activity. Our priorities at Cosmos are firstly to provide all the assistance we can to those of our team who will be impacted by this decision. Times like this are very tough for our people and we're working hard to redeploy as many of our people as possible. We believe there is value in Cosmos and therefore we're laser focused on preserving this opportunity through a safe and robust care and maintenance program so that we can bring it back online should the market conditions justify it. About 200 workers are currently employed at IGO's Cosmos project. The company also operates the Forestania and Nova nickel mines in the goldfields, which it says remain cash positive for now, despite current market conditions. But Ivan Vella says the spotted quoll underground mine at Forestania is earmarked for closure next year. The hedging position we've got in place keeps us cash positive and so it's, it's, a, it's a good business to keep running and we have a plan to, to close early next year. The business will keep making cash and I think we're in a great position. We'll, obviously, the focus there is just managing the impact and transition for our people. We're, we're really thinking that through and that work's already underway, um, making the most of the asset. They closed Flying Fox late last year. I went and saw that incredibly professional ramp down and management of that, trend, that, that part of the asset and they're now getting the very best out of spot of qual. Ivan Vella, he is the Managing Director of IGO. It's a minute and a half away from the news at one o'clock. Let's just pop over to southern Queensland where Ken Edwards and Ruth Ashburner gorse have just turned an old silo into a two-storey hotel and everything in it is recycled. It's now a farm stay on their property near Pittsworth on the Darling Downs. The worst thing that we can think of is going to the tip, getting rid, rid of things. So it was really important to us to recycle or upcycle um, existing materials. We wanted it all to blend in because this is a country property. Um, and the lovely thing about pretty much everything in this silo is it's all been sourced locally. Uh, from the silo itself through to the big, big uh, posts that hold it all together. One of the farmstay owners, Ruth Ashburner-Gorse. And if you want to take a look at that silo that's been turned into a farmstay, go and have a look at it. Just search ABC Rural and Silo and you'll find it there. It's very cute. Just search ABC Rural and Silo to take a look for yourself. Uh, Just recapping, the sheep ship is now docked at Fremantle. It docked overnight at North Quay. Still no 
definitive plan as to what to do with the livestock on board that ship. The regulator is yet to confirm those plans. We'll have an update for you tomorrow. News time, one o'clock. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.